Alrighty, yes, yeah, so it'd be great if you opened up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, that'd be fantastic. Uh, like she shared, my name is Ryan Toller. would like to provide an apology that I likely will be wobbling around the stage. I hurt my back playing basketball yesterday, <clears throat> which is probably the oldest thing I've ever said. Uh, but <laughs> yes, uh, but I have the absolute joy of running the college ministry here at the chapel, um, which is really a privilege. And my wife does a, a, a wonderful job helping me in that as well. And we see it as a, a privilege to do so with, really to be a help to such a, a season of life that is so formative. I remember my college years, oh, I'm only 26, so it wasn't that far away, but uh, they, they were formative years for me. And, and I want to be a help to a lot of college students who, um, who are in that season as well. But uh, I... Uh, if you know anyone, typically of 18, 18 years old to 24 years old, uh, the invitation is open to them to hang out with us in the college ministry. We call it a college ministry, but it's really a college-aged ministry, whether you've been to college, never been to college, you're in college, or uh, you never will start college. We'd love to uh, invite you on Sunday nights at 7.30 over in the college room. We have a fun time, and uh, we, seem, we like having fun and opening up the Word of God and studying it. Uh, and speaking of fun, some retreats that we've done, figured I'd show you guys some pictures. We've done two retreats this summer. I took uh, 50 college students, some aren't in this picture, but 50 of them to Folly Beach in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, which was a ton of fun. They're throwing up fours because it's the fourth year we've done it. Uh, and we, got, we had a big freshman class move up, so it's just a trip to get to know them, hang out, have some good fellowship, uh, and it, was, it, it really was a lot of fun. And then kind of a crazier trip we did, maybe you might remember this uh, from me talking about it last year, but I took 20 college students to the mountains of Virginia again, which some would call me crazy. I'd call myself crazy for doing that. Uh, but uh, I took my, my youth pastor, he's the guy right here, his name's Will Rett, he's uh, Doug's son. When I was a senior, he's my youth pastor for a year. We did, and we did 10 hours of 1 Corinthians on top of a mountain in Virginia, which was a lot of fun. And it wasn't just fun, it was also funny because uh, you'll tend to laugh uh, as you watch 20 Floridians try to live in the mountains. Uh, <laughs> like watching them go to the bathroom in the woods, which I, I of course, don't watch them go to the bathroom in the woods, okay? <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> but they walk out of the woods, and there's like this, there's this, this face of death. Like they've just been traumatized. I was, it's, it kind of looks like Grace here a little bit when they, when they walk out. I'm glad. I hope she's not in here. But, <laughs> but we have a blast. This was a lot of fun. We call it a, a, Bible, a hiking Bible intensive, and so um, it's great. But hey, uh, I, I'm here to open up and teach the Bible, which is a privilege to me, and so um, I hope you will engage with the Word of God as I hope to today. Uh, and so like Tracy said, we're going to be stepping out of uh, the book of Nehemiah, and yet uh, what, what we're going to see in, in the Gospel of Matthew I think will be just as helpful for us as we step back into the book of Nehemiah. And, and if, you don't, if you're not familiar with, with Matthew chapter 6, uh, what Jesus is doing, he's, uh, he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of my favorite teachings of Jesus. And what he's doing is uh, the, the people of that day, especially the religious leaders, had this preconceived idea of what it looked like to, to have success in the kingdom of God. First, you had to be a Jew, and you had to do this, you had to pray, you had to fast, you had to give, you had to do all of these things. And if you did all of these things, you were successful. You were a good citizen of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to say, listen, doing good things is good, 
but not if you have a bad heart behind it. And so he's kind of taking the, their idea of the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God, and he's flipping it on its head. And he's going to throw a little bit of a right hook to say, you can do the right thing and still be terribly wrong as you do it. Which is, which is going to shake a lot of the worldviews of that time, that, that it's possible to do good things and still be sinful as you do good things. And so Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 2, and we're going to see how he, how he does that. And so Matthew 6, 2, it says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound like a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And so we have this picture here of, of these religious leaders who it appears were, were calling for trumpets to be behind them as they gave to the church and as they gave to the poor, which like in my mind, I'm thinking, why, why in the world would you have a trumpet behind you? This verse shows us this, but I thought, I wonder if the trumpet started because like maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm buying an apple in the market and I hear a trumpet. I'm thinking, oh, that's a good reminder. Giving is good. Giving is good. And I thought maybe that's how it started, that they had trumpets behind them blowing when people give as a reminder to the public uh, that we need to give. But that's not what the trumpet is doing right now. The, the trumpet is not reminding people that giving is good. The trumpet right now is showing people that the giver is good, which is just the total opposite of what should be happening. Because the Pharisees were giving money in order to be seen by men. And, and so Jesus, I think, simply says, uh, he looks at the Pharisees, he looks at people, and he says, listen, don't be a trumpet in your giving. Uh, don't be so loud, so, uh, so obvious as you give. It's, it's not the purpose of giving. And I found, a, I found a sad reality here as I was reading this verse because uh, even a sad irony to a, to a degree, because the many people would look at the Pharisees and say, oh, they are so holy. They are helping the poor. But, but the irony is, is they're not helping the poor. The poor is helping them, right? And this is not, this is not a charitable donation happening in Matthew 6 too. This is a business transaction where they're looking, they're, looking at the, they're looking at the person in need. They're saying, listen, I will give this coin to you if you will give me a platform to be seen. And they're taking such a beautiful thing of meeting needs and they're twisting it to meet not their needs, but their desire to be seen. And, and that, 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 is, that is totally, that's the total opposite purpose of giving. And so uh, it, Jesus says, listen, don't be a trumpet in your giving. Now he's going to move to, he's going to move to praying. Uh, and so Matthew uh, chapter six, verse five. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And so again, we see the, the, the modern day Pharisee would show up on the street corner in order to be seen, right? And he, I kind of see them as the, the modern day billboard, right? Billboards are there so you would look at it and be directed to something. Well, a, a Pharisee is standing on the street corner in order that people would hear their prayers and not be directed to God, but rather be directed to Themself. And once again, Jesus is saying, listen, don't be a trumpet in your giving, but uh, don't be a, a billboard in your praying. Your prayer should not, the, the heartbeat of your prayer should not be to direct people to yourself. They should be to direct people to God. And they took, they took such a wonderful thing and they twisted it. A, a wonderful thing that allows us to talk to God. And they twisted it in a way that they hoped people would talk about them 
as they talk to God. And, and, and Jesus says simply, listen, I'm not interested in you newscasting your prayers so that people notice you to a higher degree. And now, I, I don't want to say like giving and praying is bad. If I said that, I'd be fired, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. Giving and praying are good things. However, giving and praying might be bad for us if our heart is to be trumpets and billboards as we, as we do them. And so uh, today we're, we're looking at this, this, this concept of motive. How do I have good motives as I do good things? And so, so we've, hit, we've hit prayer, we've hit giving, and Jesus is gonna, he's gonna show one more example in verse 16. And he says, and whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. See, another example, right? They would fast. They would, they would sacrifice in their body in order to, to pray to the Lord, but they really weren't doing it to pray to the Lord. They would, like, mess up their hair and, and put dirt on their face and wear dirty clothes, and they would, like, walk around with, a, with like, a crippled Ryan back, you know, and they'd, just hoping people would see how holy they are. And... Uh, it's a little funny that me and my wife have, a, have an inside joke in our house. That inside joke revolves around that there's, there's two types of sicknesses for me. There's really sick, and really sick is, is when I get really sick. It happens like maybe once every two years or something. I, I got COVID a year ago around this time, and I was really sick, <laughs> and it was, it was not fun. I didn't have to be hospitalized, thanks, thank the Lord. But I was really sick. I would, I would sit in bed shaking because I just I was sick. And so we have really sick and then there's Ryan sick. And some of you already know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Ryan sick is, is really a, a milk fest of acting skills and, and exaggeration is simply it, right? I'll turn, the, I'll turn the normal flu into the bubonic plague, right? And uh, what's funny is it shows up because, you know, I'm sitting on the couch or I got a hurt stomach or something. I'm laying on the couch watching TV and then Hannah walks in. And you know what I do? <laughs> I, you know, I, I cough a little louder. I might say, oh, my stomach hurts, you know, and only when she walks into the room. I never do that when, when she's not in the room, right? But I do that in order that she would, she would help me in some way, right? And I was, I was actually talking to the office ladies this week, and they were saying their husbands do the same thing, too. So, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> A.K.A. the man cold is, is what's true for me. Uh, but, again, I'll, I'll, like, lower my countenance. I'll, I'll make my face more gloomy. I will, I will exaggerate my sickness, my, what's going on in my body, in order for, for Hannah to do something for me that I don't want to do, do myself. And I know none of, you, none of you men do that either, but... Uh, what's the moral, moral of the story? Moral of the story is, listen, Jesus is saying, don't be a, a trumpet in your giving, don't be a billboard in your praying, and don't be a Ryan in your fasting, okay? <laughs> That's a good principle. <laughs> but it, it's true that that I would, I would act worse in order for my need to be met, right? And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're like newscasting their sacrifice of their body in order for their need to be met. And what do they need? They want to be seen, right? They want to be seen. And Jesus is saying, listen, that, that's not what we should be. That's not what we, sh- what we should be about. And now, I understand, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, there's a little bit of a disconnect here to a degree. Like, I don't see people walking to CFC with a trumpeteer behind them from their high school band or anything, you know? 
I don't, I don't see someone standing on the corner over there praying super loud. It, I don't see these three examples shown as I walk about my, my day to day. And so I thought, well, is there three specific problems or is there one problem revealed in three specific ways? And I'm convinced it's the latter, that there's one heart issue and Jesus is using three examples to reveal the heart issue. And I'm convinced of that because of the first verse of chapter six, which we'll see. What's the heart behind all three of these examples? Simply this, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. And, and I might not be able to raise my hand to have a trumpeteer behind me when I give. And I might not be able to raise my hand uh, that I pray on street corners really loud. But I can raise my ha- hand that I've done good things in order to be seen by people. And, and that's Jesus' words to all of us. Don't live a righteous life in order to be seen by the eyes of man. Don't live a righteous life to be seen by Man, and, and, I, and as, I was, as I hit this part and I was really thinking on verse one, I thought I had this question stir up inside me where I asked, where, where in the world in today's culture do people show up in order to be seen? Like where, where are people showing up in order to be noticed? For the ancient day, it was on the street corner. I'm gonna show up on the street corner, I'm gonna be noticed. For the ancient day, it was at the offering plate. I'm gonna show up to the offering plate, I'm gonna be noticed, or I'm gonna fast. But where today do people show up to be noticed? And as I asked that question, uh, an image came to mind very quickly that kind of a, a red carpet is the symbol of being noticed in, in today's culture. And if you think about it, I got a red carpet right here. Uh, the red carpet, I hope I don't hit you. Oh, there we go. I'm not supposed to leave the stage. Sorry, Ben. All right. <laughs> the red carpet is, is simply the place where you are noticed. And, and in today's culture with these big banquets and, and crazy, you know, like uh, movie reveals and whatnot, people will show up on the red carpet. But what's so interesting to me is they will... Everyone dresses so lavishly, like so extravagantly, even though only 1% of them will be on the stage, right? But they all dress like they're going to be on the stage. And why is that? I think in part because they're walking down the carpet to the event. And the carpet's where all the cameras are flashing. It's where all the news stations are. It's where the pictures are going to be on the magazines. You name it. They are showing up to walk on a carpet. And I'm not saying it's bad that they do that. It's just intriguing to me how much... Uh, we as humans love being noticed and the red carpet is usually the symbol of that. And it was striking to me of how, how the red carpet can creep into a, to a Christian's life as well, even without us recognizing it. And, and what's interesting is typically, I thought you really, can't, you really can't walk on a red carpet unless you take something to walk on it. An example, right? Uh, no celebrity, like, I'm not getting invited to walk a red carpet because I have nothing to offer. Uh, no one's going to notice me for anything. If, if I'm going to be noticed, I'm going to be tackled, and there's going to be a news article, crazy Flor- Florida man tackled on a red carpet, right? That's what it's going to say. But people like, so a celebrity, they, they are going to use their fame as a way to step on the red carpet. Maybe they, they did this movie, this crazy good movie, and it's a movie premiere. They're gonna, they use what they did in the movie to step on the red carpet. And I share this because it's intriguing to me that the, the religious leaders used things in order to step on a red carpet and be seen by people. 
Example, they, they, would, they would give, but before they gave, they would step on a red carpet, have a trumpet blow behind them, and then they would give, right? They wanted to be seen as they gave. Uh, they, would, they would take their prayer to God, but before they prayed to God, they would step on a red carpet, raise their arms, pray super loudly on a street corner to be noticed by men. They wanted to be seen by everyone, and so they did good deeds on, on a red carpet, uh, fasting. They would fast and they would just mess up all their hair and put dirty clothes on. They would step on a, they would step on a red carpet as, as they fast. And so it's been true that they use things in order to be seen by men. And they use good things. These things aren't bad things. These are good, righteous things that they were using in order to be seen. And, and like when, as I was wrestling through this, I recognized I... I can do the same thing, and I have done the same thing, that I, that I can use the, the teaching of the Word of God as a means, as a platform to step on the red carpet, where it is not above my head, but it is kind of a, a stepping stool in order to raise myself a little higher, that I really hope you, really hope you love the, uh, the words of this teaching and the concept of a red carpet and I hope it's helpful for you, which isn't bad, but I hope you mention my name when you talk about how helpful it was for you. You name it. Like, <laughs> I'm just being honest. If I, if I can be honest with you, uh, I've done this before. And how sad that I've done it with the Word of God. That to my deep regret, I have taught many a lessons on a red carpet. And that, and that is frustrating for me to think about and look back on my life that I have used a good thing to really advance a not good thing, and that's my ego and my pride. And so I, and it's not just, it's not just the word of God I might use to take on a red carpet. I, I actually relate to the Pharisees here that I might take my prayer on the red carpet. And here's how, and uh, that, that when I'm in a room of people praying, this happens sometimes, that I am scripting in my, in my mind the most beautiful sentence to say, like the best words I could possibly say to pray something I wanna pray. And, and, and when I'm scripting in my mind the most beautiful words in order for people to hear them and like say, yes, Lord, or, mm, you know, like sometimes we pray for the mm's instead of to the Lord. Uh, I, as I'm scripting, here's what I've learned. I've learned that when I'm doing that in my mind, I am not, I'm not praying to God. I'm praying to people. And, and, and I'm supposed to be praying with people to the Lord. But if I'm praying to people, I'm never praying to the Father, Right? And, and as I pray, I, I step on a red carpet as a hope that people like when I pray. And I'm sure, I'm sure none of you wrestle with this or struggle with, it, struggle with this at all. But it happens with me sometimes that I, that I really hope people think highly of me and my prayers. And it's so silly and it's so dumb. And yet I find myself on a strangely colored carpet as I do good things. Or like in, in my college ministry, I might red carpet my, my advice or wisdom, which the wisdom of a 26-year-old is a funny thing, but uh, like I'm sitting around a campfire with college students, and they might ask me a question, and I might answer it, and I hope it's helpful, but like I said before, I hope it's helpful so much so that they share my name as they mention it later. And so uh, the, the plague of my name is one that I wrestle with deeply. And if I can, I'm just, I'm just like laying everything. You guys are seeing you guys are seeing how much of a sinner I am today, which is fine. That's not a problem at all. Uh, but if I could tell you how pervasive this thing is, is uh, I was really wrestling in my prep 
I'm like, Lord, would you give me some creativity to connect this to something that would be helpful in, in like today's time? And red carpet came up quickly. I'm like, thank you, Lord. That's, that's helpful. And I've been saying this line for a long time recently. I don't want to red carpet my righteousness. I don't want to, be, I want to do good things to be seen in the eyes of man. And as, as it came to me, as he was helpful to me, I took out my phone. I put two names in the address bar of a text message. And I said this question, what do you think about this? Don't red carpet your righteousness. And even though I said, what do you think about this? Can I tell you what I really meant? Not what do you think about this, but rather what do you think about me? That I wasn't all that concerned about feedback of this statement. I was more concerned that someone I respect respected me. That he saw creativity and cleverness in a simple sentence. And the sad thing is, is I'm convinced the Lord helped me get that. That wasn't a, a thing of me. And so it, it quietly creeps up on me. And, and, and before I know it, I'm standing on a, on a red carpet. And so Jesus, Jesus has an important truth for us. And that is, uh, don't red carpet your righteousness. Uh, don't use righteousness as a way for people to look at you, it's never going to be good for you, and it won't be good for other people. And so, but as I was, as I was sitting on this sentence, I, uh, this important truth, I felt like an important question came to mind. And that important question, according to the important truth, was, well, how do I know I'm on the red carpet, right? It, that can be tough sometimes. Motives can be difficult to discern at times. And, and so how do I know? How do I avoid stepping on this red carpet when I actually don't know my motives, and I found an answer in chapter 6 that uh, was super helpful for me, and I hope it will be helpful for you. So to, what's, the, what's the important answer to the important question of how do I know? Well, look at, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you don't have your Bibles, just listen. I'd like for you to listen. Feel free to look. Chapter 6, verse 2. Here's, I found the answer to this question in 6.2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street corners, emphasis here, so that they may be honored by men. Fill in the blank for me. The religious leaders hoped that when they gave, they would be what? Honored by men. Yes, the religious leaders hoped, I'm, I'm emphasizing this word hoped, uh, that when they gave, they would be honored by men. Look at six, uh, chapter, or verse 5. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Fill in the blank. When the, the religious leaders hoped that when they prayed, they would be seen by men. And you're like, what are you doing, Ryan? I, I'm, try, I'm, I'm trying to reveal that the word hope often can help us determ determine motive where uh, the, the, the answer for me to this question is, when I do this, I really hope this. And we can plug this straight, in, we can plug this straight into verse two and verse five, that when the religious leaders prayed, they really hoped they were seen. And the religious leaders gave, they really hoped that they were honored. And, and you can plug this anywhere, you, no matter the good deed. It can be inside the church. If you work inside the church, it can be outside the church, you name it. You can, you can use this as a way to determine motive because it, the Pharisees revealed what they hoped for. And this part is, a, is an honest and hard question to answer. But if you, if you answer honestly, I think you will begin to see if you are on a red carpet or, or off of it. And so this, is, this was helpful to me. And, and you really could, you could, plug, you could plug anything in here. When I, when I serve in children's ministry, I really hope that I'm acknowledged, right? 
uh, when, when I'm a part of the praying church that meets on Wednesday nights, which is fantastic, and I pray, I really hope that people respect my prayers. You name it. I, I was talking to a, a member here at the church, and I really appreciated his thoughts. Uh, he's a father, and I asked him, hey, what, do you, what might you do, uh, a good thing that you do, in hopes that people see how good you are? And instantly, and I was, I was kind of shocked how quickly he answered. He said, oh, my, my daughter is very well behaved. And there's many times I like to speak about her righteousness in hopes that people see mine. He said, I, I have fallen in the, into the trap to believe my, the way my kids behave is a direct reflection of me. And so if they're behaving well, it's a direct reflection of me. And so he will, he will pick up his daughter, stand on this red carpet and say, look at her, but I really hope you look at me. And I appreciate his honesty. That's good. He, that's, that's him asking a really hard question of what does, he, what does he hope for? And you name it. Like when I was growing up, I grew up in a Baptist church in South Carolina. And I must have heard this sentence uh, growing up all the time. I, I've spent all week at the church. I spend all week at the church. I, I spend 20 hours at the church. And I, I was thinking back to that. I thought, I wonder if there's a little bit of, of a red carpet in that sentence where we use how long we serve at a church as a means of hoping people respect us and, and think highly of us. And I, I know we probably don't do it intentionally, but I wonder if the red carpet is still hiding there at times. And so uh, I, I found this helpful for me. But I would be angry at myself if, I, if we did not go into Jesus' words to stay off of the red carpet. Because after every, uh, you might have noticed, we skipped some verses. After every example, he provides a solution of how to avoid the red carpet. And so I want to take us there because his solution is going to be, it's going to be way better than mine. Okay, so verse 3, it says, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And when your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Next, uh, verse six. But when you pray, go into the inner room, close the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's skip to verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will rewards you. Anyone pick up the main word here? Secret. Yes. That the solution to stay off the red carpet is not to go public with your righteousness, but actually, according to Jesus's words, to go secret. And so how does that happen? Well, well, we give secretly. We don't, we don't let my other, we don't let the other hand see. What's that mean? That was kind of a confusing thing to me. It, it made most sense when I thought, if my hands were two people, my left, my, the, the first person would give and the second person wouldn't see. That's what I think it's simply saying. If your hands are two people, one of your hands give while your other hand doesn't see. And so it, it's, it's if your right hand doesn't see you give, then no one else will as well. And so it's, it's more of a, a given a way that you're not, you're not giving so that people see you. And so we, we give secretly, but we also, we pray secretly that I position myself where it's just me and God. And that's the verse of uh, go in your closet and pray to your father who sees what he sees you, what you're doing in secret. And it was interesting to me because I thought, is this like, is this a command not to pray with other people? You should, you should always go in the closet and pray to the father. I don't think so. One, because the hand analogy is not a literal analogy. It's a figurative one. So we could probably take that figurative 
uh, part of the first example and apply it here and say, I, I think the, the physical moving into a closet, it's not a literal command, it's a figurative one because he continues to use figurative language as he explains uh, how you should do things in secret. And so I, I share that to say this, that it would be weird if we only prayed by ourselves, right? Uh, imagine Matt up here, you know, oh, praise the name. And then after he's done, he goes in the back, prays, and then comes back out. That would be, that'd be weird, you know? Oh, oh, oh. And, and first of all, the garden, in the garden, Jesus asks people to pray with him. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see the church is praying together. This isn't a command to pray by yourself, okay? It is a command that when we pray, that the Lord's ears and the Lord's eyes are going to be the only things, the only ones we want to hear and we want to see. That, when I, that I can pray in secret as I pray in public. That, the, that I look at the Lord and say, Lord, uh, I desire not to be noticed by the people in this room, but just to be noticed by you. I think that, that is the heartbeat of praying in the closet. It's a, it's a heart posture. Position your heart in a way that you are praying in secret to the Father. Not, a, not go lock yourself in a, in, a, in a dark room. And I'm not saying, I think we should be praying to God by ourselves, but we should also be praying with people. And so we give secretly, we, we, we pray secretly, and we also fast secretly, where I don't, let, I don't let my body newscast my good deeds. In other words, I wonder, I wonder if the day after power-up clubs should be my best day, right? That I'm not sitting on the couch, like, not, not loving my wife well because I've served all week. Like, I'm not using my tiredness as a means to justify me not continuing to love other people. Uh, and so I, uh, all these things can be done in public, but chapter five and six is all about the heart. And so it just makes sense. This, this continues to speak on the heart that we, we position ourselves in a way where we secretly do good things, even if people are around. And so I'm convinced, I'm convinced Jesus would still say to us, if he was standing here today, uh, which he kind of is in all of us, he resides in us, uh, he would say, listen, don't practice your righteousness in order to be seen by men. Don't do things in order to be seen. But what was interesting to me as well is, is that sometimes we, a lot of times we do things in order to be seen, but there are other times we don't do things in order to be seen. What do I mean? That, uh, I, I mean that the religious leaders, like they would, they would do things to be thought highly of, and at times we don't do things to be thought highly of, highly of like prayer. Uh, they prayed so that people would be impressed, we don't pray because we're convinced people won't be impressed, right? I'm afraid someone will think less of me, so I won't pray. I'm afraid I will, I'll be embarrassed, and so I don't pray in public. And the irony is, is there are times we are not praying for the same reason the religious leaders did pray. That if a sentence is ever in our heart of I don't pray in public because I'm afraid of what people will think of me, I've stepped on a red carpet. Why? Because I'm too afraid of praying to people right? I'm too afraid of praying to people. But praying to people is never, the part, is never the reason of prayer. Praying to the Father is. And so sometimes we want to pray to people to be respected, but other times we don't want to pray because we're afraid people won't respect us. And so I think there's times we loudly stand on this carpet, and other times we, we do it quietly. And I had someone come up to me after Thursday service, and he said, Ryan, I, I get to this like dialogue in my brain of, oh, there's a good deed, but I might have a bad motive, so I shouldn't do it. You know, it's like, should I not do a good deed because uh, I have a sinful motive in my heart? 
And I, I think it's like seven times in Matthew chapter six, the beginning of verses. I, I just want to pause here and say, Jesus uses the word when. That the expectation to do good works is still there. And that God will use those good works regardless of our motive. And so just because I have a a bad motive doesn't mean I don't do a good work, right? And so I just want to pause there and say I I appreciated that question. Um, But when you pray, when you fast, when you give is a pretty clear expectation that just because I have a bad motive doesn't mean I shouldn't do do a good thing. So so that raised the question, that honestly raised the question uh, for me of, well, how do I... How do I get off the red carpet, right? I know how to avoid it. Jesus helps me go in secret. I know how to avoid it. Ask the question of what do I hope comes my way? But how do I, how do I get off of it? When I recognize I have good motives, I should still do the good work. That seems, that seems to be the expectation in Matthew chapter six, still do these good things. But how do I get rid of the ungodly motive? Hebrews 12 was, was super helpful to me, and I hope it'll be helpful to you that It says this, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down down at the right hand of the throne of God. How How do I get off of it when I'm on it? First, according to, I think Hebrews 12 helps us. How do I get off? I confess the ungodly motive. Uh, what, what, whatever sin is entangling me, I lay it aside. I, I put it off. And, and that looks like me saying, Lord, right now I care so much about the eyes of other people noticing me. I'm sorry about that. Will you forgive me? Because that's entangling me. I can't run with endurance when my pride is, is tripping me up that I hope other people look at me. And so I, I confess the ungodly motive. Lord, uh, I, I'm sorry for this. Will you forgive me? And I put it aside. And then I, I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, where I, I say, Lord, I, I care too much about these eyes. Uh, would you forgive me for that? I am sorry. And I, I solely want to focus on Jesus. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And then I run with endurance. I do the good work. I do the good work in secret. And Hebrews 12 has been helpful to me as I have found myself on a red carpet because I've come to find seeking the praise of Jesus, fixing my eyes on Jesus over the eyes of everyone else in the room is way, 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 way better. Tremendously so. <clears throat> Mainly because uh, the, uh, when, I, when my life is focused on the praise of man, I will find myself addicted to being noticed, just as the religious leaders were. If my hope is that people speak highly of me, people praise me, then I will become addicted to being noticed. And this showed up in my life recently, actually. It was the end of Power Up Clubs, and, and we were celebrating all the good people that did great things to make it happen. And there's clapping, there's cheering, you name it. And names were being riddled off, <clears throat> and my name was not shared. And you might think, oh, who didn't share your name? You did so much, Ryan. That doesn't matter. I want to tell you what does matter, okay? Uh, I'm glad my name was not shared. I'm so glad my name was not shared because it revealed that there's still a part of my heart that is addicted to being noticed. Because if if man's praise is, is, is the goal of my life, when it doesn't come my way, what will? Bitterness. 
And that was, that was the biggest indicator that I was still in a way addicted to man's praise because when my name wasn't mentioned in front of a room of 400 people, bitterness welled up in my heart because I felt like I was entitled to be noticed. And Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 1 uh, was, the, was the path that I walked out of that sinful, ungodly motive because I sat there saying, I, I, I confess my ungodly motive. I said, Lord, right now I care to be noticed way too much about the, I, I care to be noticed way too much by the eyes of the people in this room. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So I, I confessed the ungodly motive and then I, I focused on the right set of eyes. I said, Lord, I, I, want, I wanted other people to see all the good work I did this, this week. I'm sorry about that, forgive me. I actually just want you to see that. I hope you are pleased by the week of, uh, of sharing the gospel and shepherding students. I really, I want to do that for you. Will you help me as, I, as other competing desires slide in? And then, after I, I laid it aside, fixed my eyes on Jesus, I did the good work. What was the good work? I started clapping. And I started celebrating other people for doing other things, which I could not do when I was entangled in my own pride. And so, at Hebrews 12 was, was a great help to me as I uh, wrestled through this. And, and, and so I hope this is, this is helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you, and I think it's helpful for us as we move into, back into Nehemiah in the coming weeks, and here's why. Because uh, imagine in Nehemiah's time, an Israelite who's building the wall, and he's standing on top of the wall saying, look how, look how much I've built. Look how long I've been up here. Look how hot it is, right? Nehemiah would have climbed up that wall, taken him by his shoulders, and punted him off the wall, right? It, it, that just would have happened. Nehemiah was that type of guy, right? <laughs> but I, I, share that, I share that to say Matthew 6 is helpful to me. And it's helpful to me to remind me that the wall needs building, not myself, right? The wall needs building, not me. And maybe many of us are kind of looking to the, what, what passions the Lord's given us and where we can be a light in this world and we're seeking to step in. And, and it's a fantastic question to ask according to Matthew 6 is, as I'm seeking to build the wall, am I really hoping to build myself? And I absolutely, we shared this last week, I absolutely love Nehemiah's words in the end of chapter five. It, it fits so perfectly in, in Matthew chapter six as of all the good things Nehemiah has done at this moment, this is what he says to God. Remember me, oh my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. He, he's not looking at the people saying, I hope you remember me for all the good I've done. He is simply fixing his eyes on God saying, Lord, I have done all of this so that you might remember me. You might see me. And that is, that is extremely so, so helpful for me. And as, as, as Matt comes back up um, to play us in a last song, I want to finish with a last thought that has served me as I have, um, as I have learned of what it looks like to look to Jesus in times that pride has entangled me. And, and, and the thing that I've, I've personally learned is that uh, man's praise man's praise can be a dangerous addiction because I want it more and more and more and more. And, and, and first of all, I would, I would just like to say, I want to relieve the pressure maybe on your shoulders that you're thinking, oh, I can't talk to Ryan because he hates man's praise. <laughs> I just want to, want to stop and say, uh, please, uh, it's, the, it's the job of the church to encourage. 
It's the job of the individual not to allow it to go to their head, right? And so uh, we should all be encouraging. I welcome the conversation. I, I, I love it. But uh, this, isn't a, this isn't a lesson on don't encourage. This is a lesson on be careful what we do with it. Uh, because I know how addicting, how I can take the, the good words of another person and twist it and change it. And, and so I, I've learned that because I want more and more and more. But uh, this is what's helpful. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he always notices me. I don't have to fight for him to see me, right? So this is, this is what I keep telling myself. So why, why, would, I fi- why would I seek uh, to focus on the eyes of people who sometimes see me and always leave me? Because you name it, a lot of times I do good things and I, and I hope people see me, but a lot of people don't. But the ones that do see me will always look away. So why would I focus on the eyes of people who sometimes see me but always leave me when I can focus on a set of eyes that always see me and never leave me? There's a, there's a, better, there's a better set of eyes to focus on. And, it, and that set of eyes always loves me, has always cared for me, has given up his life for me, and that's way better than, than anyone else has done. And so those are the eyes. Those are the eyes I, I want to focus on because they will, they will never leave. Uh, and so... I hope, I hope Matthew 6 has been as helpful to you as it has been for me, that I want to get off this, I want to get off this silly colored carpet because it's going to end. It's going to run out. But the, but the gaze, the, the rewards of heaven uh, that will last for eternity never will. And so that's, that's the one I want to focus on. And so as Matt's about to play us in a, another song called Jesus at the Center, and I, I'd ask that we would just sit for the first bit of it just to consider Lord, is there places in my life that I'm doing good things in order to be seen? Would you reveal that to me? That you might, un- that you might confess the ungodly motive, that you might fix your eyes on Jesus, and you would, do, you would determine to do the good work in secret. And after a little bit, Matt will call us to stand and, and sing together. So thank you. Jesus at the center of it all. sing this would be our prayer individually and as a church we put Jesus at the center Jesus be the center of my
Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be its own. As your church, we come humbled by your words here, and we, we pray that we would listen. And as we step on those red carpets, as your spirit reveals to us motives, Lord, we can trust that you're there and faithful and ready to forgive. Lord, as we, the times that we seek for the reward of, of applause of men, we look to the, the eternal reward of our Father in heaven that is much, much, much greater. Thank you for doing that work in us, Lord. Would you continue that today and in the days to come? In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if we can pray for you in any way, we it is our privilege to be able to do that. Um, we have men and women between the auditoriums that are available, ready to pray with you. Uh, so if you would like someone to pray with you, please uh, don't leave campus without uh, stopping and doing that. And I hope you go and uh, get some snow cones and Take your picture and all that. We'll see you next time.